Welcome to the Living on Purpose podcast. I am your host, Maddie Wollner, a multiple business owner, life coach, busy mom of three, and curious student of life. This podcast is a place for inspired women to gather. Each week, I will share personal stories, quick inspo, strategies that you can implement right away, and engage in real conversations with badass women who have made the conscious decision to live a life on purpose, one that they have intentionally designed and that they now demand. No more allowing our lives to be defined by everyone else. No more putting ourselves on the back burner. No more living in a state of default and never going after our goals or our dreams. We are going to live our best lives on our terms. Living on purpose is our goal, and we're going to get after it starting right now. peeps. This is the part of the show that I get to give you a big old virtual hug and thank you for reviewing this podcast, My Labor of Love. These ratings and reviews seriously mean the world to me. This five-star review comes in from Libby and it's titled Excellent Podcast. Libby writes, I really enjoyed Maddie's podcast. Very uplifting and inspiring messages. Perfect. Get you out of a rut. Libby, thank you so much for this review. I know I'm feeling the ruts. So many of us are feeling the ruts. And I uh, just really, really appreciate these kind words. And I would love to hear what you think of the show. Please leave a review wherever you are listening to this episode, and I will make sure to give you some love on a future episode. Welcome to the Living on Purpose podcast, Sarah Dean. I am so excited to have you. This has actually uh, been years of dreaming and scheming, (laughs) and you're here. You're here on the Living Uh, on Purpose podcast, and I cannot wait to have this conversation. I'm so excited and so honored. I know, I'm like I said before we hit record, I was like, I'm just excited to like show up and chat and chill. Like no matter what happens, this is going to be so fun. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And if you don't know, Sarah Dean is the podcast master guru. Been doing it forever. Three and a half million downloads. She is uh, phenomenal. So I was sharing with her before we hit record how nervous I was. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to be nervous because I think that is important in our world. Yes. Oh my gosh. I. It's funny how how many times I've done. So I've done almost 300 interviews now, like interviewing other people. And I still beforehand, I'm always like, I hope it goes okay. (laughs) And it's always so fun. It's out that it's like first day of school or something. I don't know. Yes, totally. Okay. So why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself, what you got going on both personally and professionally right now? Sure. So I am Sarah Dean. I'm the host of the Shameless Mom Academy podcast. Um, I've been hosting the podcast for almost six years. And it's funny, like when you say what's going on personally and professionally, there's so much overlap and there always has been for me. Previous to having the podcast, I owned a gym. And when I owned a gym, like that was also my whole personal and professional life. Like I am just someone who lives, I mean, talk about living on purpose. Like things that I choose to do professionally always have massive overlap with just who I am as a person, where my life is at that time personally. So I am right now heading into the sixth year of hosting the podcast. I'm running online groups for moms. 
I am getting more into speaking to groups of women and moms through corporate and supporting women and moms in corporate uh, because, oh my goodness, it's a rough time to be a mom in corporate, um, which is why so many are leaving. And I'm terrified that there will be fewer moms at the boardroom tables. Like that is not okay with me. And so it all always comes back to, I I think we're going to touch on core values later, but it always comes back to my core values and like living my core values in my personal and professional life, which then just necessitates this overlap. Um, so that's how I started the podcast was because of things that were happening in my personal life that I was like, I need to be talking about these things, started the podcast, then it became a business. So personal and professional is always overlapping for me. And so, yeah, I'm, and I feel really grateful because I can't be kept in a box. (laughs) I I dream about it. I did. Maybe you do too, where I'm like, maybe I should just go work at Trader Joe's. It would be so much easier. And then I'm like, no, because I would be like the most annoying, like activist checker person who was like always trying to like create upheaval in the system. (laughs) Yes. I bet. So the, the word that came to my mind, the instant thought was exhaustion. I'm just going to ask this question. This when you overlap personal and professional, I think when we have jobs where we go to the office, sometimes we can compartmentalize them Mm -hmm. and go to work and then go home. Yeah. So how do you battle all that overlap or is it a blessing? Oh, good question. It's both. So like, it's a huge blessing. I'm an extrovert. So external processing is really important to me, which is why if I started working at Trader Joe's, I would like just make things really messy. Cause I'd be like overly externally processing in a way that would not be appropriate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's, so it's a blessing in that, like, that's just who I am to like, say what I think and have big statements and big beliefs and want to share them with the world. Um, but then on the back end of that, yeah, sometimes it's really exhausting and sometimes I can't turn it off. Or sometimes I get myself in situations where I commit to having to show up in so many ways at once, or, you know, in a short window of time. And I'm like, oh my God, this is too much. Like mama needs a rest. And so I I have to be really careful around energy management and make sure that I have times where I'm really on. And then I have times where I am not on at all. And I can choose to be on if I want. (laughs) I love that. I love that because I think that's so important. um, Taking care and monitoring and protecting that energy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So can you take us back six years ago? I really wanted, so the living on purpose podcast is all about talking to women who have made the very intentional choice to move from a life that possibly could be lived on default, going through the motions to one that's lived really intentionally and on purpose. And when I was reading your bio, it said, that after enduring your own identity crisis following the birth of your son, you took your background in psychology, health and wellness and rebuilt your identity. And I'm wondering if you can share about that. And then also about the birth of the Shameless Mom Academy. Yeah. So prior to having my son, I owned a gym. It was fantastic. I built a huge community there. I really loved it. It took us a couple of years to get pregnant and we went through a lot of infertility stuff. And during that time, that was a really, really hard time, a really isolating and lonely time. And so when I finally got pregnant, I decided that I wanted to make sure that I could be home with this baby as much as possible. Like we had worked so hard to get there and I had worked so hard to build my business to a point that I was in a position to have other people work for me 
do everything on the front end of the business and I could just stay home with this baby. And I kind of was like, gosh, this is like this gift of infertility that it took us this long to get pregnant. Now I've built this thing where I can really like be at home and just be a mom, not just, but like really solely focus on being a mom. And my son was born and he was a really, he was a difficult baby for a few reasons. First of all, we had a lot of feeding issues, which were related to my milk supply, which was incredibly stressful. On top of that, he's a lot like me and he knows exactly what he wants and exactly how he wants it handed to him at all times. And so until he could speak, (laughs) there was just a lot of screaming, Mm -hmm. a lot lot of screaming. Mm -hmm. So within months of having this baby, my dream of like, just like snuggling and taking naps together all day was very shattered. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was all sorts of other things that were happening instead. And it was a lot of screaming baby and a lot of my own health issues related to nursing and some other things. And then that created health issues for him because he wasn't gaining weight. So we were spending a lot of time focusing on like really high stress stuff. So as a result of that, that first year of his life was none of the magic I expected it to be. And that was really, really disappointing and traumatic in a few different ways. And I got to the end of that year and I felt a little bit cheated out of that year, but not like, like, I felt like I had cheated myself out of it. Like I had set expectations for myself and didn't manage them well. And I could have done things differently and I could have done it better. And I could have created more joy for myself. And instead I was like, really hard on myself. And so as I got to the end of that year, I had a lot of disappointment and grief around what that year had been, even though I loved this child and he was like the most magical thing ever. Um, and he did bring so much joy to my life and still does. And as I got removed from that year, I was able to look back on it and see that like, wow, you got in your own way a lot. (laughs) Yeah. You made that way messier than it needed to be. And you compromised your own experience and like, let's figure this out. And so what I learned in that year was that I needed to get out of my own way. I needed to be working was a big thing. And so I ended up going back to work much earlier than I expected because I needed to be working. I needed to be teaching and sharing my gifts with the world. And I just could not, like, I was not fulfilled being at home and just parenting full time. So over the course of the next couple of years, then it was like refiguring out like, who am I now? And how does motherhood fit into that? And then by the time he was three, I was like, okay, I feel like I have some hindsight on this now and I'm ready to talk about it. And I had been working, I'd been in the coaching space, but very specifically around like health and wellness at my gym for so long, Mm -hmm. but I was like, I just want to expand that and make it not specific to like, what exercises should you do to lose 10 pounds? (laughs) And so, um, (laughs) so I ended up starting the podcast as a passion project, just to talk about my experience in motherhood and experiences of loss of identity in motherhood. And then it evolved from there. And to the point that I was like, I really want to just be all in on these conversations and not on, in on fitness conversations anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I ended up selling the gym and going all in on the podcast as a passion project. And it has morphed into this booming business. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. And it's still a passion project. It's it's a passion project with a lot of to-do lists now, <laughs> a lot of boxes to check, but yeah, yes. it's been, it's been, it's been really fantastic. And it's been really incredible to be a part of women's lives and mom's lives in the way that I am. That's amazing. So what advice would you give just off the top, off the cuff to a mom right now who is grieving over 
maybe the vision that she's had over the last two years and with losing self and losing goals and losing dreams and losing an idea of what life was going to be, what advice would you give someone who's in that, that space that you were so many years ago? Yeah. So I think it starts with really acknowledging that we are all constantly evolving and growing. And after you have a child, you don't get to go back to who you were before. And that was a huge revelation for me. And I was actually in a parent group when my son was teeny tiny (laughs) every week for 12 weeks in a row, we would talk about like, we would talk about our highs and lows and how things were going. And my low every week for 12 weeks was I'm just waiting for things to go back to how they used to be. Like, I'm waiting to be the person I used to be. Mm -hmm. Like, someday I'm going to find her. I'm going to wake up and this baby's going to like eat a little bit better and sleep a little bit better. And then I'm going to get to go back to who I was. And it was really after that first year that I was like, oh crap, you have so missed the mark here. Like, you don't go back, you become someone different. And so we have this through motherhood, we have this through career changes, we have this through, you know, new education experiences, we have this through shifts in relationships where we're, always becoming a new version of ourselves and sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, but the sooner that you can recognize that constant evolution or that constant becoming as Michelle Obama so beautifully puts it, then you get to own that you're not going back and there's great things about that. So then you can look forward and have some power and choice around. So who am I going to become? What do I want that to look like? Which can feel huge and overwhelming and like a massive responsibility, but it also creates so much space for freedom and for clarity and for deciding like, what are my values moving forward? What do I want most? And what are the choices that I'm going to make that align with that? So for me, what aligned with that for me was one of my values is being of service to other people. Like I have to be of service to other people in a way, and this is going to sound so conceited, but I know some people will relate to it in a way that other people see me being of service. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love that distinction. Yeah. Like I can be of service to my family, but like, I'm not getting like lots of shout outs on the internet for Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. And this is something I've talked to my therapist about. I'm like, I think I need more like acknowledgement than other people. (laughs) She's like, no, everyone needs that. Yeah. Yes. She's like, that's great that you know that about yourself though, because I need like professional recognition. So I don't want to be in my house with acknowledgement from my family. Mm -hmm. I need to be like in my gym, teaching a boot camp class and having Mm -hmm. everyone have this amazing experience and thanking me or online teaching my online, everything that I do with my moms now, which is online coaching programs and to have 40 moms show up to a call and get something out of it and walk away feeling like a new version of themselves. Like I need that as much Mm -hmm. as my clients need it. And so recognizing for me that that value of showing up and being of service is so integral to who I am that I'm going to make decisions that way moving forward always. And so that's what, that was like that huge missing piece to me in that first year where I thought like, I've worked so hard all my life to be able to stay home with a baby. And now I'm not loving this. What do I do? Recognizing, oh, but really who you are is like, you need to be out there uplifting and motivating people and having them get results from that and changing people's lives in that way. And so knowing that that's a value of mine, now I make choices that are aligned with that. And so I can look at options and opportunities in my life and recognize like, yes, this will work for me. This will light me up, lift me up and allow me to have bigger impact or this won't. And so like creating spreadsheets and sitting at my computer at home 
that is not how I can change the world. Other people can change the world doing that. I cannot being out forward facing among people, you know, in conversation, in coaching mode. That's how I can change, how I can have the greatest contributions, um, and, and keep moving forward and, and evolving myself. Oh my gosh. I think that is so brilliant. And one of the things that you said is that I see, um, well, first of all, you walk your talk and I just want to just say that to you and thank you for that and share with my listeners is I love talking to women who say, say the things that they're actually doing. And you're that person. So you just made a comment and you said, I talk about my experiences and I had Aiden when I was 21. So he's 18. And I also had nursing issues. So I had a breast reduction surgery when I was 16, but I was told by all these lactation specialists, I've seen all the women who have all had breast reduction surgeries be able to nurse. So you should be able to nurse and it shouldn't be a problem until my doctor said, you're starving your child Mm. at 21 and alone and nobody, and not having anyone in my world talking about experiences, you would have been such a gift to me. And so in saying that, I just want to recognize that you are such a gift to all of the women, all of the mothers who get to realize that they're not alone anymore because you share your experience. And I think you actually just talked about your breastfeeding experience on social media. Tell me if I'm right. Wasn't there there an awareness day? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I shared a memory that, yeah, it was Yes. We have pictures of my son, like Mm -hmm. when he was basically malnourished because I was trying so hard and it was not working at all. Yeah. So we have pictures from that time that my husband and I can barely look at. Oh my God. Yes. His like little skull (laughs) is concave. His skin is like wrinkly and hanging off of it. I mean, he looks like a very sad puppy and I'm like, this is a child. This is I mean, I wouldn't want to do that to a puppy either, but (laughs) Right. right. And I had a similar experience to you where I took him in for a second opinion on his growth. And the doctor said she had us come in. She did a little bit of an exam, but first the nurse brought us in the room, had us take, she said, the nurse said like, take off all his clothes, have him in his diaper. The doctor will be in a minute. The doctor comes in. She does a couple things. She sits us down and she says, I just want you to know the first thing that I thought when I walked in that room is this baby needs food right now. And I'm like, and to your point, I'm like, there's nothing you could have said that would have made me feel like more of a failure than that. Yes. Yes. Like you are responsible for keeping this child alive. Right. And you're not doing it. And you've really you, failed. Yes. And yes. how do you not see that? Do you see his wrinkly skin hanging? No. I'm like, I don't know. I just, I'm bleeding. My nipples are bleeding. I don't yes. know. <laughs> you know, I'm like nursing 24 hours a day. I did not put on a bra for three months. <laughs> yes. And so then it took me two other babies to finally, with my last one, walk into, you know, the hospital and have formula in my bag. And as the lactation specialist walked in, I said, no, we don't need your services because we're going with formula right away. And to not let her shame. Yeah. And I think you also help women realize that they can shine, especially when other people are maybe looking at their decisions with some judgment. And you even say that your mission is to inspire women and moms to live bigger, bolder, and braver. And to stand up for myself in that way felt really brave. And I just, Mm. again, love what you're doing by sharing your experiences. It's like this little permission slip. Every time you share one with women who may not feel 
bold or brave. And then they get to read something that is close to their heart and then they can relate to and then show up the next time bold and brave. Right. Yeah. Yes. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Keep, you, you keep complimenting my work in very, very kind. Ways. I'm like gold star, gold star. <laughs> like, I feel so seen. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. I think that motherhood can give us, I think it can, can create this really insular and increasingly insular experience over time. Like we can just feel smaller and smaller and oh. smaller and our world can get smaller and smaller. Um, and I think especially during COVID, And I think that when we give, when we tell women the truth about what has happened in our lives or what is happening in our lives and how hard things are, um, and when we give other women permission to do things in a way that is empowering to them and to their family and to their needs at that time, then instead of things getting insular and more lonely and isolated, there's then the opportunity for hope and expansion and growth and and then becomes, there's, I think people then have the courage to be more bold. Um, but when things are just getting tighter and smaller, it's really hard to see outside of that. Yes, absolutely. And then, you know, just to the point on social media and sharing an experience in a way that may be seen as like a failure or like a a challenge versus always showing up, showing the perfect Mm -hmm. is also very, very amazing. And to that point, I, and inspiring. And to that point, I wanted to bring up a post that you made. I feel like it was year a year ago or longer. It was I it was la- I think I, well if I know where you're going yes. it was last June or it was last May. <sighs> okay, the end of last May. So, I feel like you were still newish to my world, to my feed, let's say. And you posted about being a racist. And I thought, "Holy shit. This woman is doing the thing, doing the thing that I don't know how to do right now. And that post triggered, <laughs> I think probably a lot for you, but from what I could see a lot of people mm-hmm. and it was, it was so just, it just, I want to talk about activism. I want to talk about that yeah. post and how can we, as me scared white woman, start standing a little bit taller in my activism. Um, and can we use that post in his example? Yeah, absolutely. So the post you're referring to was right after the murder of George Floyd. And I had previous to the murder of George Floyd been doing some anti-racism work and bringing in, I've always, since the beginning of my podcast been, you know, really focused on diversity among my guests, among topics, among stories, like just making sure that we're always looking at what is someone else's story and what does that mean? And how can we be better citizens when we know each other's stories? And so as a result of kind of that focus and intention, um, I had been doing some work and learning a lot about anti-racism prior to the murder of George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery and the massive uprising that came out of all that. So when that happened, when the weekend after George Floyd, there was um, the uprising over his murder, which was Memorial Day weekend, 2020, I put up a post around and that started off the top line, I believe said, I am racist in all caps. And then the next line was, and so are you in all caps. And that was all a lot of people needed to read to just be really mad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so then I went on to talk about like what racism actually means versus our sometimes our really precious notion of what racism Mm. means. And so by precious notion, I mean that there's some people that think that like racism is only 
like violent acts of white supremacy. And that's not true. If we look at anti-racist work and work around how to be an ally and an accomplice, we know that if you're a white person, you, even if you have amazing intentions and you are deep into your work around being compassionate and being empathetic and, you know, being, um, as inclusive as possible in all your spheres, you are still going to have unconscious bias and you are still going to not fully understand what it's like to walk a mile in the shoes of someone who looks different than you, who comes from 400 years of family members who have been traumatized by the color of their skin. So I talked about that in the post. And then I talked about like, here's, I think I gave like five steps or something mm-hmm. that you could do to be a better anti-racist. Um, and I was nervous with putting that post up there, mm-hmm. but I also knew it was the right thing for me to say at that time. Yeah. And so it was, it's the most shared post I've ever posted. And also some people got really, really, really mad um, because when you go on the internet and you say that all white people are racist, you're going to really piss some people off. Yeah. Yeah. What was the implication for you as a result of that post that made some people really, really, really mad and was shared so many times? Yeah. I think for me, when I posted it, I knew exactly where I was coming from. And I think this is this piece is important for people that want to post things that can be really polarizing. I knew exactly what I was saying, why I was saying it, how I could back it up. And that didn't mean that I wasn't willing to consider other sides or viewpoints, but I was definitely not willing to consider ignorant viewpoints. So I posted that and I was like, I already know, like certain things will be shut down immediately. Mm -hmm. If there is anything that is being said that would be harmful to people of color in the comments, Mm -hmm. that will be shut down, deleted. Like, I'm just not here for it. If there's questions or conversation that's productive, I'm totally open to that. So I posted that. And then I really stuck around for the conversation. When you post things like that on the internet, like you can't just like post them and then be like, Oh, and now I'm going to go skiing all day. And like, not stick around because you just don't know what's going to happen in the comments. And when it comes to race, it is really important to me that there's not harm being done in the comments. Different if like someone's talking about like how I'm an annoying redhead and I talk too much in the comments. Mm -hmm. It's very different if people are like doing something that saying things that could be harmful to people of color. So, so I stuck around for the comments. I knew that this was like, I'm going to be on the internet all day with this. Um, Right. But then the long-term implications were that people there was a couple things that happened. I actually had a client reach out to me who actually told me about some harm I had done to her and she wanted to talk that through. So that was a huge learning experience. And then beyond that, I had multiple people reach out to me to want to have further conversations about it. Um, and so, you know, my friend, I have a good friend, Laura Cathcart Robbins, who has a podcast, the only one in the room. She and I ended up having a conversation about it on her podcast. I've talked about it on other people's podcasts. I actually have a TV appearance coming up that will be coming out in the next few weeks. That was basically like I positioned myself as this person who holds this very firm, very strong, very polarizing view. And I'm here to have the conversation around it. I'm here to back it up. I believe very deeply in every single word that I said. And so it's created the opportunity for a lot of other conversations as a result, which has been really, really cool. And also a huge learning experience. And it's, it's opened the door to hard conversations yeah. that I've had to have in the background. And then also like really great opportunities to um, hopefully educate other white people and especially white women, since that's typically who follows my work around 
like, oh crap, we have a really big responsibility here and we've messed up in so many ways and we're going to continue to mess up. Mm -hmm. And so what are we going to do with all of that? Right. Can you give us one way we could start to work on our own individual work, our anti-racist work and how we could step into some activism and not to the level of a post like that, (laughs) right? Not to call out all white people as racist. I know, (laughs) (laughs) right? But like the first step or maybe the fifth step. Do you have a tip for us? Yeah. So the first step would be to listen to black people. (laughs) Like, don't listen to white women. I am not like, you can listen to what I'm saying here, but this is not an actual step in your anti-racist journey to listen to what I, as a white woman said on the internet, a first step would be to learn from black women who are anti-racist educators and learn from them in ways that respect their gifts and their work. And by that, I mean, like buy their things, buy their books, read their books, listen to their books, follow what they say on social media and listen, even when it's very, very uncomfortable. So what you'll see, if you follow people like Austin Channing Brown and Rachel Cargill and people who've written books and uh, Ijeoma Aluo, if you follow those people on social media, it's not like a comfy, cozy experience. Right, you are getting right. out over and over and over. And that every single time you feel like, oh, that post is a little too much. That post that was a little too sharp and a little too prickly. Right. And I'm feeling a little defensive. Yep. That means you need to listen a little bit more. Yeah. So that's a really first step. Listening and reading and learning and researching is like, yeah, pre-work. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And especially now, like that was an acceptable first step a year ago, but if you haven't done that yet, come on, like catch up. Let's go. Um, like lovingly, lovingly, I'm saying, please catch up. Um, and then the next thing I think that you can do is to start asking questions, start noticing in your communities and asking questions in your community. So a question that I have been asking in my school community that I actually started asking previous to everything a year ago or a year and a half ago, I was asking, Hey, like our school really prioritizes diversity and inclusion in its student body, but that is not reflected in the faculty and among the teachers. And so if we are going to prioritize bringing in students that are all different skin colors, but we only have white women teaching them, Mm -hmm. then what does that mean? And what are the implications for the black kids in the class never have a black teacher in nine years. Mm -hmm. So that was a question. And I'm not saying this is an easy step, but it is like to go to send an email to your school administration and say, Hey, this is something I'm noticing. And I'm curious if this is on your radar. I'm curious what steps are being taken. And I sent an email like this prior to everything, like prior to this massive national awakening around diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you send an email like that now, like hopefully they've already gotten a bunch of emails like right, that. Right. Yep. <laughs> they should be getting emails like that. This should be an active part of all community conversations. Yeah. Another thing you can do is when you are sitting at, you know, if you're sitting on a committee at work or in a community organization or in your church and you notice like, oh, hmm, there's five of us on this committee and we're all white people, or we're all the same, like we're all the same, whether that's related to our skin color or our ability or gender, if it's all, you know, like, what can we do to make that different? And to be the person to say like, Hey, have we asked for opinions from other people? And then from there, 
I think bringing in people in equitable ways. So making sure that if you decide to bring a black person onto your committee, that you're not just trying to fill the seat of a black person, but instead you're recognizing like, Hey, we would really love for you to be part of this conversation because of X, Y, Z. Would that work for you? And how could we make this appealing to you? Um, I know I'm in a situation where like a black woman was invited to be part of a committee and she's a single mom. And I was like, well, did anyone ask, like, we're asking her as a single mom who works full time to come do this thing outside, like in the evening, did anyone ask about like what she's going to do for childcare? Like, mm-hmm. cause mm-hmm. the rest of us have partners. So we're asking right. her to check the box of the black woman. And we're also not giving her resources to make it easy for her to show up in this conversation. Right. So like, let's, that. let's be really thoughtful about how we're going about this. Those are a few things that you can do. Um, yeah. and then having conversations with your kids too, um, which is, I'll say if having conversations with your kids, I'm just going to point you to, if you want to start having conversations with your kids about race, then go follow Jasmine Bradshaw, who has the first name basis podcast. Like she is a biracial black woman who has phenomenal, phenomenal resources. And she will teach you how to talk yeah. to your kids about race. And she will teach you, I mean, in much greater depth, you know, elaborating on steps that I've already explained. Perfect. Thank you so much. I just wanted to touch on that because as I mentioned, it has been inspiring to watch you and motivating, right? So when you interview someone on your podcast and I hear, and then I can go out and buy their content and then I can learn and I can read the books and then I can have my, my little book club on hard anti-racist stuff. Yeah. And get uncomfortable. Yeah. That's a really good step right there is book club. Yeah. I wanted to talk about what you have. This is not a segue. This is like a hard right pivot on the conversation. I love a hard right. (laughs) Yeah. I know in interviews where you're like, how do I connect these dots? And then you're like, I'm not, I'm not connecting dots. No dots will be connected here. (laughs) Okay. So I just, I'm having a hard time right now. I've got, well, Mm -hmm. Aiden's going off to college. Let's not, you know, I'm not having a hard time with that quite yet. What I'm having a hard time with is my little one going back to school in a middle of a raging pandemic and scared and fear and trying to be COVID conscious and then trying to do all the things. And I actually did a post the other day and it was like, I'm losing hope right now. Mm -hmm. I'm having a hard time right now. And you know, when you say something to the universe and it like shows you exactly what you need, like in it, like hands it to you on a silver platter, the universe handed me your next challenge. And I feel like the timing couldn't be better. So can we talk about what you've got going on, um, with your hope, happiness, and mental health challenge? Because I need it. We need it. Yes, we do. I need my own challenge. Yes. So back in March of 2020, when we could not imagine what this pandemic was going to look like, and we thought, oh my gosh, the world's going to shut down for six weeks. How will we get by? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when we were in that moment, I had to cancel my annual event and everyone, I mean, schools were closed for six weeks. Like we just the universe as we knew it was shifting massively and people were moms were freaking out. Like, how do we bring our children home and still work and still do all the things we need to do and still help them feel safe? And like, what is this COVID thing? How dangerous is it really like all the things? 
So I did this, um, hope, happiness, and mental health challenge at that time. And people were like starving for it. And so it was a multi-day challenge where every day we had curriculum where you got, I got on Facebook live and basically coached around a certain topic. So it might be around like, you know, always returning to who you are or building better boundaries or fear and how fear doesn't get to drive, even when you are feeling full of worry and angst and how to rebuild your relationship with control when you feel like you can't control everything or anything. So I talked this through over the course of this challenge. Um, and it was really successful challenge and successful in terms of people feeling like they were able to restore hope and create joy and find comfort and connection and being with other women, with other moms. And so back in June, this last June in 2021, we had this moment where we had hope and we were like, oh my gosh, people are getting vaccinated. And we were told by our government, like, we're going to be good by July 4th. Like we're reopening. Here we go. We had like three weeks of, we did it. And then that was quickly countered with like, actually we didn't do it yet. Kidding. Yep. We didn't do it. Maybe we're not going to do it. And what does it look like if we never do it? Like if we never get out of it. And that was in some ways as hard as the beginning of it, because it was having this moment of hope and then having the hope pulled out. And so while we were traumatized back in March of 2020, as everything began, I think there's been this re-traumatization with thinking that things were going to change and feeling full of hope and booking vacations and planning on time with loved ones and getting our kids back in school and feeling confident that they would actually be safe. And then all of that being like, no, actually, that's not how it's going to happen. Actually, you're going to have to learn to live with this with a lot of uncertainty, with a lot of worry in the face of your children being at higher risk than they've ever been and sending them back into schools at higher risk than they've ever been and all these pieces. So as I was panicking about this and waking up and reading news headlines every single morning, which I don't recommend, right? I was, I was talking with my, our school's vice principal the other day. And I was like, I feel we were talking about a meeting that um, I'm going to help the school administration run in a couple of weeks. And I said, I think one of the things we need to talk about is like countering the fear that parents like me who wake up and read CNN every morning at uh-huh. 6 a.m., like countering the fear that we are carrying because we read CNN every morning at 6 right. a.m. Right. Uh huh. <laughs> He was like, thank you. That's very helpful. So what I realized is like, I need hope, happiness, and some restoration of mental health just as much as anyone else. And I also, I'm good at coaching myself. I'm not perfect, but I'm good at coaching myself. And so I've been able to coach myself through a lot of this. And I want to be able to do that for other people. So I'm bringing back the hope, happiness, and mental health challenge. We're starting Monday, September 20th. It's totally free. It's a five-day challenge where I'm going to, again, be showing up every day on Facebook live in our private Facebook group. I'll be showing up an email in everyone's inboxes and really just coaching everyone through, like, how do we keep going while we continue to be in this time that is just so incredibly relentless. And I feel like all the words are so annoying at this point, like unprecedented and relentless and uncertain and unpredictable. Like we're over all those words, Mm -hmm. but we're still living them. (laughs) Yes. So my hope is that we can get into this challenge and really restore hope and find magic and create joy and just feel some momentum with that. Cause I think that we're struggling without a sense of momentum, without that sense of being able to create hope and joy for ourselves in moments when we really, really desperately need it. 
Yes, absolutely. You know, I think that that's so true. We had this glimmer where, yeah, we planned the vacations and, and I, I can just physically recall sitting on our back deck, me and Tom planning this trip to Florida in December to take my kids to Jimmy Buffett concert. Cause I was like my bucket list. Cause he's my boyfriend. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks later, to look at each other and say that probably is not going to be the best choice for our family right, right now. And, yeah. and again, have to cancel the trip and yep. again, bank the airline miles. Yep. And so this piece on momentum, I think is so brilliant because I personally am afraid to create it. 100%. 100%. We're in a very similar situation of having to cancel Mex- trip to Mexico for the third time. <laughs> And like, I just like expedited my passport, like get here faster. And now I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure we're not going to Mexico. So yeah, I absolutely agree that we need that momentum because it feels like that's how we keep going. And when we're like, I think back to when my son was a newborn and when he was like not sleeping and I would get up after a really rough night or after multiple really rough nights. And I would have this thought. I'm like, if I have another night, like last night, like I cannot do it. I cannot have another night like last night. And then whenever I would get to that point that felt like this breaking point that next night, it would be like 3% better than the previous night. And I'd be like, okay, that's all I needed. I just needed 3%. I didn't need 30%. I didn't need 90%. I just needed like 3% better. And so 3% better is like what keeps us going. So if we can find these little things to create momentum and to see that every day, like there will be hard days, but every day is not going to be the hardest day. And when we have a series of hardest days or hardest seasons back to back to back, it's really hard to see outside of that. And so that's my hope is like, let's bring people in so that you can see that it is actually up and down and not just like down and stained. (laughs) Yeah. I love that idea of 3% better because we did back in June, we went like a thousand percent, right? We went off the charts to like booking all the things and then, and then you stop doing any percent. And so I love that idea of just creating a little bit versus none at all. Right. Because, um, because yeah, the fear of creating momentum because of disappointment, that's really tragic. And that's where, that's where the low can stay low. Right. Right. And I think looking at like, what is like, where does the magic really lie? Because I like, I'm someone who's always been, my husband loves to like, when we think of vacation, he's like, let's find a city and go to museums. And I'm like, what? No, <laughs> like, can we, it has to have a beach. Like it's yes. only vacation if it has a beach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so we, we joke about like our ideas of vacation and like, he can do limited time on my version of vacation and I can do limited time on his version. So we have to like make some compromises there sometimes. And I think what I've learned in all of this is that like, you have to find what the magic is for you and then create it in new ways. And so one of the things we did this last summer, because we weren't doing the big trips and we weren't doing like the stuff that was going to the beaches in Mexico and those kinds of things. Instead, we got paddle boards and I actually just put up a post about this, but like we got our paddle boards. My son and I each got one. We named them Max and Millie. We took them to multiple lakes. We discovered new lakes. We invited friends like, and that became the magic. And so while it was disappointing to not do some of the things maybe we've done in the past or some of the things we were dreaming of doing when 
we've had, you know, huge hope in June to be able to create magic in a new way creates a ton of power and momentum. Cause now I've proven like, Oh, I don't need the tropical beach. Like I can spend $200 on a paddleboard instead of $2,000 on Mexico. (laughs) And I can have a really great time. Like I'm not saying it's the same, but it's pretty awesome. Like that affirmation is really, really important. Oh my God. I love it. I'm so excited. We will have in the show notes, an easy breezy link to sign up for the challenge and remind me it starts on September. Yep. September 20th. It goes September, Monday, September 20th to Friday, September 24th. And it's going to everything. It's it's just, it's totally free. So if you, if you go to shamelessmom.com slash challenge, you just drop in your name and your email. And then you'll get a reply email from us that says you're in and here's what to do. And it's super simple. Perfect. Yeah. I'm going to ask you as I love to, but I'm going to ask you for an example. I ask everyone what living on purpose means to you. And with you, you're so good at examples and experiences. I'd love to hear of a time recently that you've really been living on purpose. Mm. So a time recently that I've really been living on purpose. I'm going to go with, I feel like I just gave my really great uh-huh. paddleboard example. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to come up, gonna come up with anyone though. Um, so a time recently that I've really been living on purpose is, okay, I'm going to share this. I sold, I sold my gym. So I told you I had a gym. I had a fitness business. We sold that gym and, or I sold that gym a handful of years ago. And one of the things that as a result of selling that gym, I had this little chunk of cash from it. And I wanted that chunk of cash to go toward a lake cabin. And quickly I was like, oh, as it turns out, lake cabins are like exponentially more expensive than this little chunk of cash. But I've been sitting on this cash and what's become clear to me over the course of this pandemic and over the course of the last three years and just building everything that I built since I sold the gym was like that money, I wanted it to be spent really intentionally. And I wanted it to be a reflection of something that meant something to me because it came from something that I built that I was really, really proud of. So we recently bought a cabin with another couple. And with that, I took my money and it's like, when we bought our house, it was like, well, my husband and I chipped in together or whatever, but it was like, no, like I'm doing this. I'm taking this money from something that I built that I took so much pride in. And I sold a company as a woman, which is like very uncommon. And I'm going to put that money into an investment that is really intentionally part of a dream that I've had for a really long time. Um, so I feel like that's a really privileged example, but it also shows the intentionality behind like seeing something through over the course of many years. Like it took me 15 years to build the thing that I ended up selling. And then it took me three more years to find the right opportunity to put it in a meaningful place. So this is like, it's an 18 year journey that reflects on something that I built myself. And that's a really big deal to me. That is a really big deal. That's an amazing example. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. This has been such a gift. Thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing all of these experiences and being so real. It's a privilege when I get to sit down with someone who's just really authentic. And I see that in you and I really appreciate it. Oh my gosh, this was amazing. You were an excellent question asker. <laughs> yes. This was so fun. So fun. I appreciate you as well. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to the Living on Purpose podcast. It has been a blast hanging out with you. If you love this week's episode, please hit that subscribe button. That way you won't miss any future goodness we throw your way. Craving community and connection with like-minded badass women? Feel free to join us in the Living on Purpose Facebook group. And of course, the best gift that you could possibly give is an honest review on iTunes. All right, that's it. Until next time, always keep living on purpose.